Hello and welcome to the Carrier's Edge podcast number 22. I am Jane Jazrawi, co-founder of Carrier's Edge and with me as always... Mark Morell, other co-founder of Carrier's Edge. Hello, Mark. Hello, Jane. <laughs> you caught me just as I was uh, stepping away to just make a quick adjustment. Okay. Threw me off there. Oh, I see. All right. Look. I'm going to make that quick adjustment now, so... Talk amongst yourselves for a moment. That was talking amongst yourselves for a moment. <laughs> You're supposed to fill the time. Tell I thought some you would just. Yeah, I thought you would. Anecdote. I thought you would just edit that. Well, I guess I will. <laughs> now you have to. Oh well, this is about how we start these things normally. Yeah, we need a while to get warmed up. Hmm. Are you all warmed up and limber now? I'm warmed up. All right. I don't know about limber. That may have left. That may have <laughs> limber exi- has left. Yeah, has exited the building. Okay. We've been walking a lot for we the last few days. Yes. So, so, what do you want to talk about today in our podcast? Uh, well, we went to a very cool conference. Definitely, we'll talk about that. Yeah. And what else have we been doing? That's the tricky part because uh, for the last two days we've just been buried in this uh, other conference, but there was other things that have been happening in the last three or four weeks before that. Now the challenge is trying to remember them. Well, I have uh, a whistleblower training uh, module that is ready to go out. I We have a couple of other modules that are nearly ready or, or you know, sort of in the final stages. So that's what we've been working on in, in the content area. Well, let's... Uh, Let's stay on that for a little bit then. So you're, I think when we last talked, you were just finishing up your harassment and we mm-hmm. talked about that process. And so now you've done a separate whistleblower course. Yeah, well, when I did harassment, that kept coming up, especially in the U.S. Uh, Canada has terrible whistleblower laws. There's really there's really nothing protecting people who report um employer practices that are illegal or, um, you know, when you report harassment or other illegal activities, you aren't really protected from much of anything. I mean, you can get fired or pushed out or or whatever it is, employer retaliation. But in the States, there are a lot of statutes that specifically protect workers in various sectors. And one of those is trucking. And so when I was researching the harassment course, I came up, I kept on coming, you know, banging up against all these whistleblower issues. And I thought, oh, hey, wait a minute, this needs its own course because it's a little confusing. Mm-hmm. They're all basically, all the statutes work the same way, which is basically if you complain or report your employer for whatever practices that they're following that are not good then they can't retaliate. However, there's a bunch of different, like there's different details, the devil's in the details, and there's different things that I mean, you can only report within a certain amount of days. Uh, these particular things have to be in place or you're not protected, blah, blah, blah. So it gets a little complicated. Hmm. So the whistleblower protection, as I think you pointed out to me one time earlier, it doesn't actually tell people they need to do the right thing. It doesn't tell the employers they need to be doing the right thing. And it doesn't really have a lot of opinion on 
know, what's right or wrong or anything. It's just that if you are reporting somebody doing something wrong, they can't retaliate. No, maybe I gave you the wrong idea because that's not really the case. They do have things that are specifically... So, for example, um, let me think about this. For for the trucking industry, it's... uh, trying to remember what the statute is called but this particular statute basically says that if your carrier forces you or requires or asks you to break a safety regulation then you should be able to say so at the time to like you should be able to report it to the carrier or if the carrier isn't listening to you you should be able to report it to FMCSA or to OSHA without retaliation. So they do actually specify what the carrier is supposed to do. The carrier is supposed to provide a safe working environment. And for for transportation workers, they have to provide a safe working environment. But in addition, they are expected to follow all of the FMCSA's rules. Right. So these really come as additions to other existing rules regulations. It is. And that's why their statutes are not there. A lot of the time, they're not not really their own laws. They're part of an existing law. Hmm. So um, the one, the surface transportation protection, surface transportation, oh, I can't remember the whole thing, but that particular statute is, it's, it seems to be its own, its own thing, but there's OSHA. It's part of a different law. And in other industries, it's part of the entire law. It's like Mm. one piece of it that basically says you can't retaliate against an employee who thinks that there's a problem. So if you complain about you make a complaint about an environmental issue, no one can retaliate. Mm. And that is, you know, there's a lot of retaliation that's happened. So with financial um, issues the, the big one was um, Enron hmm. was a whistleblower who basically brought down the company because they were doing all kinds of illegal things. And hmm. she she blew the whistle. And I believe that that was one of those. I can't remember the entire story. I don't remember it was she lost her job because obviously the company went down. But you don't want to try and silence people. That's mm. the whole issue is trying to silence people. And I and that's this has happened to me and I think that's why I think that there should be better laws in Canada for it mm-hmm. because there's really nothing you you can go and complain to um, the human rights the human rights council in Canada and you can you can try and I guess, try and take them to court and things like that. But there really isn't a specific law that says you cannot complain about what your employer is doing wrong or you can't, you know, there's nowhere to go. So basically Canadian employers are free to retaliate against anybody who blows a whistle on them. It's a lot harder to, it's a lot harder to fight retaliation. Hmm. And it's a lot harder to, it's a lot harder to train people on what to do. Like you can have companies that say, oh no, we take all of this very seriously. But then you look at uh, cases like Jean Gomeshi and, <laughs> you know, there was definitely retaliation going on there, but CBC doesn't, hasn't been, 
Mm-hmm. You know, it's not like they have been punished for that or, well, they have to a certain extent, but it really hasn't been much of a, you know, in terms of like a lawsuit or they have to, you know, do something to to uh, make up for it. Hmm. And, and in the case of the companies that we've worked for, there's definitely been retaliation that has gone, uh, gone on and on and on. And they would say the companies, you know, but their their line is that oh we can't we would never let that happen but yet it does yeah. so who do you who do you talk to who do you complain to right. and and that's uh that's something that i think people are starting to in canada part people are starting to speak out about mm. very good so you've got a course on that that's now mm-hmm. finished is it it is finished it's not it's not yet released because I was just told it was finished today. Ah, okay. So by so, the time this podcast comes out, the course should be out. Yes, too. the course will be out. And it is a U.S. course. I mean, if people want to read it or people want it for Canada, I, I imagine that's okay. But it's a U.S. law. So, yeah. yeah. Okay. And so what else are you working on in the content world? Right now... Um, we have a U.S. forklift course that is, I think it's probably about two or three weeks out. Mm. Um, we also have a vehicle inspection course for Quebec. Quebec mm. has different rules, so mostly about the vehicle inspection reports. So we are we have it in English, but we'll release it when we have the translation ready Mm -hmm. and that is happening. We have translation back, so we should be able to have the French version ready probably in the next three weeks. Okay. And so, yeah, we have some stuff coming out. It sounds like the last, I don't know, three or four weeks since we last did a podcast, your team has been mostly kind of cleaning up uh, odds and ends and finishing up projects that were underway. Mm Mm-hmm making some uh, headway in all of those areas, which is very good. Yeah, so very we nice. are, I mean, now I, I have I think, to think about what I'm going to do next. Well, I think you also did no speeches in that time. You you didn't do any speeches in May, I don't you? think I did. How I think that? I was, oh no, that's not true. I did a podcast. I did someone else's podcast. Uh, and you did a radio show. And a radio show, yeah. So I have been speaking. I just haven't, um, haven't been live. Mm-hmm. I've been able to do it without putting on makeup. <laughs> Yeah, very nice. Yes. Very nice. But I am speaking um, next week, next week and a half. Yeah, a week and a half from now. In Myrtle Beach, which... Should be hot and sunny. Yeah, hopefully there aren't any tropical storms slash hurricanes. I don't know if they get those there, but... They will. They do get those. They do? Yeah. June 1st is the official start of the season. Although there's already been one. Yeah, and that was Florida that... uh, Yeah. So I'm uh, going to South Carolina... Well, I think if there was going to be one, yeah, it, it it may pop up and not yet be known. But usually, you have some good advance warning of these things because they appear in the uh, Caribbean, and then they get uh, watched as they come towards the U.S. coast. Um, so, if something doesn't pop up in the next three days or so, then you're probably safe. Yep. So. There we go. Yeah. Aren't you excited about having to fly to that? To a, to a hurricane. <laughs> well, I don't know. I've, I'm, I'm going with worst case scenarios here. But it's going to be very interesting because I am not talking about best fleets. What? I'm talking about training. What? I know. 
Who wants to hear about that? I'm not sure, but okay. (laughs) Yeah. So what is your uh, presentation going to be about? Do you have a sense of it? It, Yes. It's it's going to be about the effect of training on, um, you know, basically keeping people happy. Okay. So on retention, on creating a good corporate culture. And I think training is really important in that case because how you train, I mean, training is often the first, it's the first thing that people see when they start at a company. So Mm. you get orientation, there you are, that's training. And so how you interact with people, the information that you give them, the messages, the subliminal messages that you give them are just as important as the information about, okay, here's your benefits, here's what you do if you have a, an accident, here's, you know, you have to take this training on this safety thing. You know, it's all extremely important. But ongoing training is also extremely important. And, and the way that you provide training and what you provide training on and who you're providing the training to, it's all really important in making a really good com- corporate culture. And so that's kind of what I'm talking about is the the big mistakes that people make and the things that really make it powerful. Hmm. Mm-hmm. Very interesting. So there's, I think there's a segue into our experience at that conference. Hmm. Yes. So, okay. So let's go there then. Okay. Uh, yes. The exciting thing um, that Jane and I have been doing for the last two days, a conference that had nothing to do with trucking. What? It was- what? Is, are there those th- kinds of things? There's so many trekking conferences. And uh, yeah, it was, it was bizarre. I think it's probably the first one, I'm going to say 10 years at least, that we've been to. Um, I honestly never got to go to very many conferences. It may be the first one of these that I've ever been to, actually, as I think back yeah. on it. Um, I think I went to a Macworld conference um, back in the 90s. Mm-hmm. I never went to one... Oh, and then I and then I went to a Canadian Training and Development yeah. conference. And I've been to a few of those. I've been to a few training conferences, but this was a tech conference. Mm-hmm. And uh, so it was called True North, and it was actually held in the Waterloo region sort of tech corridor, which is the, the hub of technology development in Canada. And they said at the conference, the third largest tech hub in North America. And if you don't know anything about Waterloo, um, besides the fact that herb transport comes from there. Lots um, of trucking is down there. Yeah, there. but that's, uh, I always think of herb, but Challenger is near there too. Tons of them. Yeah, yeah I know. I'm just thinking about bus fleets because those are the ones that mm-hmm. um, I, I tend to know the addresses for because I have to write them down somewhere. If I don't write it down, I often don't remember it. But um, so... That tech hub is also where BlackBerry was born in the company called RIM before it was mm-hmm. before it was renamed BlackBerry. It was RIM. Um, now there's all kinds of places there, and the University of Waterloo has a lot of tech. Mm-hmm. has a has a tech. Um, what are those? What are those things called up when they're not startups? Uh, incubators. incubators. So they have an incubator for new tech companies. Google's down there. Facebook is down there. Yeah. So the University of Waterloo um, very consciously 
tried to do something similar to what Stanford University did in uh, the Bay Area, which is to cultivate a good relationship with the graduates and allow them to take their intellectual property and start companies with it and all of that kind of thing. So you got companies like uh, BlackBerry. Uh, but even before that, Open Text was uh, one of the early big ones to come out of there, and they have become a huge aggregator buying lots of tech companies, uh, smaller tech companies. And as a result of that whole ecosystem there, you got uh, people like Microsoft and Oracle and Sybase starting to open up uh, campuses there long ago, and now Google and Facebook. And everywhere you go downtown, there's signs of uh, for tech company offices and things like that. So it's a very, uh, very good place for tech people to be. And we walked around there scratching our heads thinking, why do we not have our office here? I know. I know. <laughs> well, we happen. know. We know yeah, why we, we didn't. It may still happen. But, um, but they it, also had this, they haven't actually turned it on yet, but they've built this light rail system. Yeah, very cool. That is all around kids. So um, Waterloo is right next to another um, city called Kitchener. And so the Kitchener-Waterloo area is, is sort of bumped up together and, and you... Um, so these companies are in both places. So it's really cool to see because this, this light rail system is going to connect. Like students are going to be able to go all over the place. Mm-hmm. And because our son is going to be going to Waterloo next year, it, we think that's also very cool. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, it was a good a good environment, good area. So a smart place to put on a two-day conference mm-hmm. um, focusing on technology. And what was different about it is it wasn't just like purely talking about technology. It wasn't, let's get together and discuss whether Python or Ruby is going to be the next great programming language. It wasn't that much in the trenches. It was much more of a high-level strategic kind of view of technology and how technology interacts with society and with sort of humanity in general. The theme for the thing was tech for good and how technology can be used for the broader good and things like that. And all of the sessions kind of had that bent to them, which were really interesting, very different. But I found it really stimulating, and I really enjoyed the whole thing. But it's one of these things where you don't come back with like four ideas you're going to apply immediately. You come back with a whole bunch of thoughts that need to stew in your head for a while Mm -hmm. and will turn into something over time. But it's not that kind of immediate thing. So it was uh, it was a well-attended conference. It was probably, I would say, about 1,200 or so people um, that were in attendance there. And the other really cool part about it was that the entire community was involved. Yes. You just, you saw tech for good people. Like, they had red T-shirts. So the, the company that was the main, um, the main putter-honor, <laughs> organizer thank you um communitech was um and they ha- all had red shirts and they had volunteers with like and i and i couldn't understand i was like well, why do you need volunteers but you could get your badges at the hotel mm-hmm. you could get your badges at different locations you oh, they could volunteers just wandering the streets downtown. just answering questions giving yeah. out here's you know here's a coupon for dinner are you going out for dinner here you go here's some money yeah and you know we didn't even have our badges on they were just like saying go to this restaurant yeah. and the restaurants oh were fabulous yeah, it was nice. And so what happened is the venue wasn't in a convention center like normal events. 
which was kind of weird and there's good and bad with that. But it was like, we thought it was kind of funny because it was basically uh, an old um, metal fabrication plant in an industrial area of town. And so like, even though we were at a tech conference, we're still surrounded by the trucking industry because on one side was a small trucking company and on the other side was an international truck dealer or truck manufacturer. Um, there was a shop there too. It was a shop. Yeah. It was yeah. a maintenance shop. So this is the kind of environment. So then they take this old uh, reclaimed ironworks place and they turned it into this really, I don't even know what the word is for it, but it's a very fancy exhibit space or event space. It's and like a so, reclaimed. Yeah, it, it is a very, it was I a very this trendy. Is what people mean by gentrified. But yeah, yeah it's very trendy. It's a very trendy. A very artsy thing. And they've got like old train cars and um, uh, shipping containers in the back and stuff like that. But then they've taken like the outside of the building, which is a normal corrugated metal kind of building. And they've like spray painted these huge murals on the side of them. And they've got art installations and the cleanest interior warehouse that I've ever seen uh, is now where their setup is and they've got their stage and they've got a few small exhibit areas and um, food and drink and they had charging stations for everybody to recharge their devices when needed and um, like it looks like an event area with all of the AV uh, sound and light and all the production stuff there. So it was kind of a, a very interesting space when you're there. But I have to say that the thing that I the thing that I found one of the most valuable aspects was the fact that there was enough bathrooms. <laughs> Tons of washroom there, space. Yeah. Like there you the there wasn't a line like you don't get this in very much in trucking because there aren't a lot of women there. But for example, to contrast uh, I go, well, we go to the theater and mm-hmm. all, you know, quite a bit because we like theater, but you go to the theater and you go to an older th- theater and like the Ed Mervish theater downtown. And when, so I took my daughter to see Annie and so it was pretty much just all women there. And at the intermission, trying to get into a bathroom is mm-hmm. insanity, insanity. And they don't have, I mean, they have a number of them, but they don't have enough. And I always think it's like they should take like five, they should take space for five uh, washrooms or the the space that you would need for five bathrooms out of the men's and just add it to the women's. Because <laughs> it's just so much more difficult to get in and out. Mm-hmm. Well, but those they had, theaters even have, there's often a lineup even at the men's. There's just never enough washrooms. Yeah, but and yeah, this place was just... It was wonderful because it wasn't just one washroom. Like there was more than one huge washroom. Oh, yeah. And uh, they had food trucks is how they catered the event, which you know you're dealing with a lot of millennials, a lot of young people and techies and sort of that urban crowd when you've got a... Uh, instead of having a catered lunch or anything like that, like what we're used to at normal conference just a bunch of food trucks that are parked outside and you go and you get in line and you uh, pick what you want from the food truck and pay on your own. But it's a lot of variety and um, that was different. And fortunately it was nice. The weather was good during lunchtime. Uh, So you could go out and do that and enjoy the outside and look at the art stuff there. But uh, it was quite the interesting conference. Um, The speaker lineup was pretty awesome. Yeah. So the main speaker, the one that attracted us, the reason that we bought the ticket was um, 
the first speaker, their keynote speaker of the event was Ed Catmull, who is the uh, founder and president of Pixar Animation Studios. So both of us being animation nerds and techies, of course, have been following Pixar ever since before Toy Story came out. Uh, So watching everything that they're doing is fantastic and getting a a chance to to hear from the the guy who's been there who had the original vision of creating a a computer-generated movie in the 70s and had this, I think it was his uh, doctoral dissertation uh, in the 70s, was um, creating computer-generated movies long, long, long before it was ever any chance of it happening. That was his vision. So to see where he's come after all this time is uh, fantastic. And he had a, a really great presentation about um, creative people, working with creative people, what makes them tick. And what struck me, the part I was kind of giggling about is a large part of his presentation was talking about the need for taking more risk in the business, which is like the exact opposite of every trucking conference that I've got, ever gone to. Yeah. You know, all, all of the trucking safety things reasonably so are about minimizing risk and he did make that point at the beginning like that at some you know in some fields you want to mitigate risk you want want zero errors yeah that's a great that's a worthy goal uh in and he talked about in finance and in medicine and uh aviation and these other things and certainly road safety fits into that as well the zero errors is exactly what you want but if you're in a creative endeavor so anything that's kind of happening in the office, improving processes, figuring out new ways to do things, solving problems, zero errors is a terrible model because it just stifles creativity. People will not make any suggestions. And he made a very good or he had a great example because this is how he turned the Disney Animation Studios, which were really dying. Mm-hmm. Disney Animation was like like just sad. Yeah, they and, had a golden age yes. uh, from sort of the Little Mermaid through uh, Lion King in, in, the, in that area. Well, they had the golden age in the, the beginning, yeah, the and then they and then age. during the eighties, it was just kind of this dark time. Then they had what you said, Little Mermaid, and mm-hmm. you know Aladdin, Lion yeah, King. Yeah, but then they kind of started faltering again. And what was happening is they were trying to reduce reduce all the risk, like have zero errors. Yeah. So people would work on it, but and they wouldn't complain about anything because a lot of them were contractors, and they just they would keep their mouth shut so they could get their next gig. Yeah, but the whole model that corporate mentality had become just don't make any mistakes. And well, if you don't make any mistakes, you're not going to make anything good from a creative standpoint. So when... uh, Well, that's actually, I think that's really important because in trucking, that idea of making a mistake is really, really not... That that whole ability to take risks and not and make mistakes is so like pushed away because of the whole risk averse... Uh, nature of actually, you know, getting things from A to B without a problem. But however, there's a lot of a lot of places where you can be creative and take risks and make mistakes with people and communication, those kinds of things that are not safety related. So he talked about that as well, that they don't like using the word failure because in the tech community, there's a lot of sense of, oh, you've got to try things and fail because that's the way you get to breakthroughs. And if you haven't failed at a couple of companies, then you really haven't tried hard enough. Yeah. Um, but outside of that, there's also that sort of negative connotation, the uh, uh, 
um, the punishment side of failure, which is that you screwed up, you didn't work hard enough, you weren't smart enough, whatever the case may be. And it's very hard to distinguish between the failure meaning uh, or the, the punishment meaning and the learning meaning of failure. So they have worked very hard on that and they uh, focus very much on um, creating an environment where people are free and feel comfortable to try things and they're not worried about mistakes quite so much as they are about getting all of the ideas out, knowing that a bunch of them are going to uh, be bad ideas, but that's part of the process. One of the things that I really liked was when he was talking about what the story of Up was going to be and all the iterations that it went through. Because it was at first, it was like a city in the clouds and the people in the city were fighting the people in the land or something Mm -hmm. like that. And they ended up kept on chucking all these ideas, but keeping the word up, keeping the title. Well, they keep a little tiny bit of it. So the first yeah. version of it, the only thing that they ended up keeping was... Was it the title? And the bird. Oh, yeah, the yeah, bird. Which factored into it. But yeah, this was part of his story about how every one of their movies sucks in the beginning and how awful they are, and they keep going through this process. This is also why it takes them five years to make a movie, is they just keep working on it and refining it. But you, but, and they, he also said they make movies for adults. Mm-hmm. They don't make movies for children. And yeah. I think that's a really, you know, the, these are things that, these are core beliefs that I think are really important to have. There's a lot of different lessons here because if you think about it, you know, they're not changing their core belief about that just because no. they're, just because they're doing animation. It's still mm-hmm. for adults. It's still about the story. It's yeah. not about, you know, whatever trick you can do with on animation. Like for, I know for The Incredibles, they, you know, they had the story, but then they had all of these technical advances on hair and water. Mm-hmm. But that wasn't what it was about. It was about the story. Yeah. And that's what people gravitate to. And that was another thing in the conference about how people gravitate towards the human things that, that people are attracted to. For example, other people's stories, storytellers, and having, you know, a connection and that kind of came up over and over and over again. Mm-hmm. And, and this, you know, how to make a connection with people. And, you know, I can think of like three examples of that. Like the woman who was talking about the Bay Area in in uh, the States and California where they've basically all the tech companies have run out, like have 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 decimated the low cost housing and so all of these people who aren't working in tech have basically been driven out of the housing market and they are now trying to fix that. But it's what she was talking about is how does how does tech reach out to those people and have more of a community? And um, when they were talking about robotics and AI in the last uh the last panel that they had is you know, how to reach out, like how how is AI going to manifest itself and, and in terms of how are we going to treat AI as human beings when it's, you know, and, and how is that going to factor into what we do with tech? So it's it's all very, it's all very exciting, actually. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I don't know how it's going to relate to creating online training, but. Well, I think there was a lot of takeaways there that are useful. I mean, and going back to Ed Catmull's, presentation. Um, he had really great ideas on some of the things that they do 
in order to go from these terrible ideas that suck to massively successful hit movies. They have a process, obviously, that they're able to repeat because they keep churning out hits that aren't just popular for six weeks and then gone. They're enduring and they sort of they last and they affect people. Uh, but part of that process is this way they do meetings to share ideas and review things and talk about stuff and figure out where they're going. And it had a couple of very simple elements to those meetings um, that I think anybody could apply that, you know, really make them work. And part of it, the one thing that I heard people talking about afterwards that really stuck with them is that when they have these creative meetings, they call them the brain trust, which isn't a a, a group, it's a type of meeting. Uh, But the brain trust meeting, when they have that, the powerful people don't talk first. The most important people in the company are the ones who just go in they're part of the meeting. They're not the only ones. There's a whole bunch of people that are part of the, the team building a movie and reviewing it. Um, but the senior people, the leaders of the company, don't talk first. They sit down and shut up um, for 10 or 15 minutes, he said, because that totally changes the dynamic of the meeting. When the, when the boss comes in and talks first, it sets the dynamic of the meeting and everybody follows that. Now, that was a really interesting idea, a very simple way of changing things. Um, they also talked about um, um, not having uh, power structures in the room and the people that end up making the decisions aren't necessarily the most senior people in the company. In their case, it's the directors of the movies um, who have final say, not the company executives. So that's a, a very interesting shift in the dynamic as well. And then they have the, uh, some rules about providing feedback, giving honest feedback and all of that kind of stuff that is, is really good. But um, it's things that can apply anywhere. Um, so I thought that was a really interesting approach. And, you know, I think we'll sort of look at that as we talk about, as we go through best fleet stuff. And as we think about other things that we're doing and ways that we're doing, certainly ways that we do meetings internally. I was just thinking that. that. Yeah. We can certainly apply some of those things directly ourselves. Um, but, um, even, you know, your, comment about the the last session that was about um, um, robotics and AI and how people interact with it. So that one was about, that session was officially called um, Stranger Than Fiction, um, you know, the reality of tech or how tech and storytelling um, intersect. And the panel included a woman who is a robot ethicist at the MIT Media Lab. So she studies Uh, robotics and ethics of interacting with robots and things like that. And the two other people were basically Hollywood guys, Uh, Spike Jones, a movie director, uh, the guy who did being John Malkovich and uh, her and where the wild things are. And the other guy was Charlie Booker, who is the creator of the Netflix series, black mirror, which is a pretty harsh. He calls it satire, but it's a pretty harsh look at how people use technology. So people that are sort of thinking about that, how humans interact with technology and um, how story fits into it. But, uh, there was a lot that came out of that. And I think uh, it, you know, for me, it kind of fit a lot of what we're doing. It fit in with us a bit because a lot of what we do with technology is trying to make it um, unintimidating, make it not that scary for people that we know aren't using a lot of it. You know, our audience is people that aren't necessarily techies that are gravitating towards the latest device just because it's cool. They're people that are often using tech purely because it's 
serving a purpose. They're sort of reluctant adopters because they need to see some real clear value before they're going to spend their time getting to know it. And that's a different mindset from the person who's always looking for the newest, coolest thing. Um, But one of the things that we do in making it accessible and making it easy to use and I, I guess personable for them is adding the stories into all of the content. I mean, everything that you do in your courses is really story-based, uh, and that helps make it more meaningful and more relatable for the people that are going through it. They're not just looking at dry text or bunch dry of bullets. video, bunch yeah. of bullets, or um, dry videos of you know things that are happening while somebody lectures them about what they must do. It's much more warm and uh, personal for them, and I think that is a big part of that human tech interaction. Yes, I think that I wonder about, you know, making it too touchy feely like the the AI woman she she had an experiment that I thought was really fascinating where she <laughs> where they have these cute little, you know, land of the lost type dinosaur robots and they're about, I don't know, a foot long. Yeah, two and they have that, yeah, they have that cute cartoony face and uh, not Jurassic Park type dinosaurs, <laughs> the cute versions, you know, the cute versions that you pet at the beginning of the movie mm-hmm. that, you know, then spit venom at you uh, at the end. But these cute dinosaurs like respond, they're like for real pets, like, you know, those mm-hmm. those stuffed animals that you can, you know, stroke and they purr and that kind of thing. But they respond to you and they respond to stroking and they are, you know, they look very cute and they're friendly. And they're and, a lot more advanced than the for real stuff because yeah. they move around and they will respond when you're nice to them. Uh, yeah, they... And you don't have to be touching them. Yeah. They'll, they're they're going to respond. But what they did in this experiment was they had a bunch of people who were being very nice and interacting with them and that sort of cuddly thing. And then they were told to hurt them. (laughs) And even just talking about it seems like this horrible thing to do to something that has like, well, maybe not everybody's going to think like that, but even, you know, the idea of hurting, I guess it's, it's an object, but it, it's an Mm -hmm. animate object, you know, but you think it's, it's, you somehow don't want to do it. Well, even at this uh, session, you know, they have this thing out there on stage and it's kind of walking around and it's responding nicely as they're petting it and they're stroking it. And then she says, okay, now pick it up by the tail. And so somebody picks it up by the tail and it's programmed to have a little bit of a squeal that everybody interprets as a bit of distress and discomfort. It's a baby-like squeal. A baby animal kind of squeal. And it's like, oh, so you just condition like, like... the guy who was doing it did not like it at all. He put it down right away. And, and then they just it left it. <laughs> they just left it on the floor. But uh, it was very interesting. It was the way Spike Jones, respond. I think, that yeah, had. Yeah, picked it up and he did not like uh, that response. So, um, But we're so hardwired to have these automatic responses to, mm-hmm. to even inanimate objects. So the, the question is, what are we going to do when we have something that's even more... Um, advanced and more human-like, although I say that, but then she was also saying we are not there yet. We're not even close to being there yet. Yeah. And then I think we, um, and then thinking about autonomous autonomous vehicles, which is, I mean, it's not quite the same technology, but really, are we there yet? 
No. We're Are we there? We're, and we don't think, that, you know, our opinion is that, yeah, there's a lot of hype in the media mm-hmm. about it, that it exists and that it po- could possibly be there one day. But I really don't think that it's even close to society just doesn't even know how to interact with with this technology. Look how badly we're screwing up even our phones. <laughs> yeah. So that was... Um that was a sort of interesting point to hear as well is that you know, for all the hype in the media about where we're at with robotics and AI and all of these kind of things or machine learning, we're still nowhere close to what's presented in the media, you know, what people are talking about and what's presented in entertainment. Um, and that was kind of good to hear, but they, they sort of started talking about how that impacts uh, or is impacted by um, entertainment by movies and TV and things like that. And, uh, this woman whose name, unfortunately, I'm completely drawing a blank on right now. I can visualize the AI woman. Yeah. Um, she was saying that she sees it even in scientific papers in the scientific community. So she's at MIT. So they're doing a lot of these like detailed research and they put together these very formal, uh, research papers and, uh, um, stories that go into their journals and then the uh, reporters from those journals will ask them a lot of questions and they have follow-up and it's really a rigorous process of vetting these stories and all of their scientific findings. But even in those uh, corners of the world where you think people are going to be very diligent and very studious about this stuff, she's seeing the questions being influenced by media and by sort of popular cultures. She's getting those kind of questions uh, and that's kind of surprising to them is that you know, even the most um, supposedly objective and well-studied scientific writers are being influenced by this stuff and they're starting to ask these kind of questions. So it is sort of everywhere led to an interesting kind of sidebar discussion about whether or not these storytellers have any sort of responsibility when they're creating these worlds, creating these movies and these TV shows um, that are based on this technology. And, you know, they say that they shouldn't have a responsibility because they're just entertainers. And she's saying, well, yeah, you're right. In a perfect world, that would be the case. But the reality is you are influencing what people think and how they respond. And that leads to them having particular opinions and treating this stuff in a particular way. Uh, so you have to acknowledge what's happening. And don't mess with it. <laughs> yes. <laughs> she had a more harsh way of putting it, which I thought was quite yeah, funny. Yeah, a much more blunt way yeah. of putting it. Uh, don't mess it up. Instruction for them. But yeah, it did sort of come back to how do we approach technology? How is it used? Um, and how do people interact with it? So that was great for us, um, you know, creating this uh products that people use on a regular basis and particularly for our audience that sometimes only use it infrequently and need to get comfortable with it and not have to go through a steep learning curve and that sort of thing. So I thought that was a great session. Uh, It was really nice to have those discussions and it's sort of very good to have that outside opinion or those different kind of uh, angles of people talking about it in different ways. And it was Kate Darling. Kate Darling, yes. I knew it was something darling. Yeah. But yes, Kate Darling, MIT Media Lab. So fantastic uh, presentation. Actually, she has some stuff on online. If you're interested in that um, experiment, then look up Kate Darling. Hmm. Yeah, MIT. She's posted uh, the videos from those. Cool. Uh, she has some videos on there. 
Well, MIT has some stuff. So, I mean, it's not hard to find her. Yeah. Okay. Um, so it was interesting. Um, the other interesting person was um, the woman from Uber. Hmm. And. Uh, Bozema St. John. That's who's her. Who's the uh, head of brand strategy or marketing at Uber after doing similar roles at uh, Apple, Apple and Pepsi and places like that. So, yeah, she had quite the life experience. Um, from working with Beyonce on the Super Bowl performance to uh, Apple and uh, Beats acquisition and Apple Music launching that, and now uh, basically taking on the challenge of uh, fixing Uber's uh, yeah. public reputation and and outreach. it was and it was interesting because there was a couple of connections to the tr- trucking industry because she and not that I think Uber Uber driving is really anything close to commercial driving. But that she had, when she started at Uber, she spent a lot of time listening to, she wasn't in product meetings as much as just listening to people, including the drivers. And apparently she did some driving. Yeah, she said she spent some time uh, working as a driver and sort of learning all of the things that they have to deal with. Um, You know, seeing it firsthand, all of the things that they have to deal with, with customers, with understanding sort of the application, their own scheduling, um, getting used to everybody's different needs and all the things that you have to juggle when you're a driver like that. So I thought that was a very interesting way to um, kind of approach things. And uh, you know, she's very good for sort of getting in there and understanding it, uh, the heart of something from the people that are in there doing it all the time. And that's kind of helped her to figure out where the challenges are and how to address those in a way that works for everybody, in a way that works for all of the constituents and all of the stakeholders in a particular situation. But, I mean, this is something that we see when we do best fleets are that, you know, many times the leaders of the company or just even newer staff will go out and do a ride-along and Mm -hmm. have that experience. And it's it's interesting to see the parallels between what good companies are doing in tech and what good companies are doing in um, in the trucking world because you think that those two worlds are so far apart, but really they're coming closer together because of technology, because mm-hmm. the technology is now in the truck. And how do you, the problems that people have with tech are outside trucking as well. You know, that whole idea of, you know, is it good to actually create this or is it just something else that is going to bother people or it's going to interfere with regular life? Mm-hmm. And that's a struggle that that people in tech are having. You know, if I make this, is this really going to do good or is it, you know, is it going to be a problem? Well, I thought that was a really good angle for the, the conference and that whole theme of tech for good because it's a really good time for that. There's a lot of talk about every young tech company is talking about disrupting something and we're going to go and tear this apart and we're going to rebuild this and do it so differently and they focus on what they can do or what they see as the problem, but they need to step back a little bit and recognize all of the people that they're going to disrupt and all those, those are all jobs and lives and uh, people that are used to doing certain things a certain way and in many, many cases, those existing situations, the status quo 
is there for a reason. It served a, pur- mm-hmm. a particular purpose, and maybe there are better ways of doing that now, but it did serve a purpose. So you can't just sort of go in and be a bull in a china shop and smash through it. You've got to take all of that stuff into consideration, or you're going to end up with something that really just annoys a lot of people, uh, which is the challenge that Uber faces, is they just sort of gone in and they steamrolled people and they've got protests and everyone hating them. Um, so they've got this real struggle to deal with. Um, but other tech companies are in that same boat as well. So you've got to step back and think about how those things are, in fact, uh, influencing everything else that's going on. Make sure that they're uh, addressing that and having kind of the right approach to it so that it doesn't cause a problem. Uh, and that's, I think you mentioned the uh, um, one of the other speakers there from uh, Tech Equity Collective uh, in San Francisco talking about all of the problems that they're having in the Bay area because these tech companies move in and, um, they bring in all of these high paying jobs, but what they do is they squeeze out all the people that are already there because the property values go through the roof and nobody can afford to live there anymore. And so she was talking about an example of, uh, this one ended up being Uber as well, buying an old Sears building in downtown Oakland. And, um, you know, 30, 40 years ago, if a big company moved into the downtown area, it would be cause for celebration. There'd be parades about how great it is. And that's the exact opposite of what's happening now is people are protesting it. They hate that idea uh, because of the nature of what actually happens. All these tech people move in. They don't live in the area, or if they do, they drive up the property values. But in a lot of cases, they're getting shuttle buses that are taking them uh, to their office from their house or wherever they happen to be. So they're not spending time in that area. They're not really building up the area. They're just driving up the prices um, without benefiting anybody else who's there. Yeah, so they're not hiring anybody from there. They don't hire people from that area. Um, so they, you know, a whole influx of new high-paid people just wreaks havoc on the local economy in that area. So now in the Bay Area, they're recognizing that and working to address those issues Um, And so this was a little bit of a cautionary tale. Certainly the greater Toronto area has had similar Mm -hmm. things, not as bad. Vancouver's had problems in that area. And I think there's probably other metropolitan areas that have struggled with that a little bit too. Uh, But it's something that everybody needs to sort of think about, um, you know, as you're doing this stuff, what are the larger impacts, not just on the, uh, you know, the end customer um, who's going to benefit from it, but uh, what is the benefit or what is the impact on all of these other people? Um, and somebody, and I can't remember which one it was, but there was a speaker that had some comment about needing to um, do things that are good, not just because there's a business benefit for it. Right. And, uh, you know, when that starts to happen, then we'll see some real. Oh, it was uh, a comment that some, oh, it was the tech equity the woman from Tech Equity, it was a comment that she had from one of her volunteers who had was working for a... So basically what they do is they try to unite the tech workers and the community. And so there's volunteers that... And apparently, you know, apparently there's lots and lots of volunteers from the tech industry who want to not have a problem like don't want nobody wants to to create that problem right it just mm-hmm. kind of happens so there was this one uh, young I think it was a young man who said that who said this 
said that they didn't realize or that they didn't want to have this effect and that he was more, he had been more concerned about his end users mm-hmm. than he had been about the people in the community. And, and he had to sort of change that, that position. Mm-hmm. Is that what you were talking yeah, about? Yeah, I think quote? that's, that's the quote. Yeah. But yeah, that's a good point is, you know, you're so focused on making a great experience for end users, you forget about everybody else. Yeah. And that's something I think that we try to do is we try to have a more holistic view. So, you know, we're not trying to just focus on what the drivers want to know or what the drivers like, but we also want to make sure that we're trying to meet the needs of um, the other people in the office and who Mm -hmm. has to, you know, communicate with these drivers on an ongoing basis. Well, I think we realized early on as well that we have to look at the other stakeholders in the process and we can't cut them out. You know, if we go to market with a solution that says, get rid of your trainers and move everything online, we're not going to ha- get anywhere. And Lord, no, we don't want to do that. No, but there's certainly a perception yeah. and, and less so now, but early on there was definitely a perception that if you have online training, you don't need the trainer. And there's trainers that were sort of th- feeling threatened by what we were offering. And that's never been our philosophy is to get rid of the trainer. Uh, but we need to make it clear or we needed to make it clear that these things work hand in hand. And we focus on that a lot now talking about how our product is really uh, not just about adding convenience for drivers or getting stuff out of classroom training is about making life better for the trainer as well. So that we're not really looking to displace the trainer. We're looking to make it more efficient. Augment it. Yeah. Augment their, their uh, skills and give them some tools that will make life better for them. Yeah, because there's a lot of things that our product doesn't do and that a human person will do. And I would never want a company to just use our stuff for training. I would be kind of concerned about what, you know, what else are you, like, are you doing anything else? (laughs) You shouldn't be. This is not going to help you with your culture. This isn't going to be, you know, don't look at a training system as your end-all and be-all. It's just, or hang on, be-all and end-all. It's not going to solve all your problems. It's not, you know, you have to incorporate it into whatever human outreach that you want to have to your drivers or to each other or whatever it is that you want. But technology should never be used because it's cool technology. No. Never. Absolutely. You know, I, I'm actually kind of a slow adopter of certain technologies. I didn't have a phone for a while. <laughs> I had a crappy, crappy phone because I kept, I kept thinking, well, I don't talk to people all that much. So, you know, why would I need an iPhone? <laughs> and, you know, now that texting is much more of my, you know, now that I communicate with kids and like the finding people is, mm-hmm. is, is easier on, on a phone and the maps and that there's a lot of things that are very, very useful for a phone, but I'm not going to go and like grab technology just because it exists. Mm-hmm. And, you know, for example, like Siri or not Siri, um, there are the boxes that'll do things for you, like Alexa. Mm-hmm. I'm not interested in that. I'm not interested in having a computer that's just going to do my bidding or, you know, play music that I can't go and like search myself. That's, I'm not interested in that. Yeah. Well, I think that was the, uh, a good point that Kate Darling made in, in her session when people are talking about AI replacing humans and, you know, just eradicating humans and all of that kind of stuff. And she made the good point that that's not really a very smart focus area. 
uh, it's a much smarter idea to focus robotics and AI on things that humans can't do. And she used the example of domesticated animals. And she said, we partnered with animals for agriculture and uh, companionship and even weaponry because they could do things that we can't. So that partnership has worked very well for thousands of years that domesticated animals have been working alongside humans for different things. And it's a, a good model. So having that kind of focus, of the two pieces working together and the technology providing something that humans can't do is a, a, a much better approach. And that's certainly the, the model that we look at with our stuff as well is uh, our product is designed to do the things that you can't easily do on your own uh, or can't conveniently and effectively do on your own. Well, you but, can, but it's a lot. No, you can't. You cannot put everybody, you cannot train the entire fleet inside of a week without grinding the business to sure, a halt unless sure. you do it online. Yeah. You know, the, we do things that you can't, but there are lots of things that you can do that we can't. And all of those things need to work together. Yeah. We're not doing a road test. <laughs> no, we're not doing practical training or we're not doing group exercises or discussions or any yeah. of that kind of stuff. We're not building the team or the community um, within the company. All of that stuff needs to happen by people that are led by good facilitators and good uh, instructors. So they all work together hand in hand. Well, I think that that's a good. Yeah. So we're already doing what she stop. says. Yeah. I yeah. think that's a good place to stop. Yeah, I don't really have much else to say. I think uh, we've covered the conference nicely. So there you go. A yeah. recap of the True North <laughs> Conference. Well, Hopefully was, they will do it again so we can Yeah, yeah. It was very nice to, to stop. You know when you're doing things, this the same thing or the same concentration every single day and you get to do something completely different. It's mm-hmm. like a, it's very tiring, but it's very refreshing at the same time. Yeah. Very much a recharging experience. Mm-hmm. So with that, I think we can start uh, wrapping things up. I think we can. So thanks, everybody, for listening. And thank you. Have a good day. Bye.